And it's really about moving past this. It's my work or my life. Um, and, you know, people talk about work-life balance, which I hate because it suggests that there's this seesaw. So that if I get more work, I have less life. Or if I get more life, I, you know, have less work or I do worse at work. And I don't think that's true. So one of the things I talked about a lot in there was what we've just talked about, which is not obsessing about making the right choice. There's probably no one decision that will derail your career. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. 20 Minute Leaders is a proud supporter of Make-A-Wish Israel and Tech2Peace and is in proud collaboration with Secret Chord Ventures, J Ventures, Riverside FM, Fusion VC, Birthright Excel, J Impact, Leap, Google for Startups, and Hippo, and in media partnership with C-Tech. Hello and welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Today I have with me Aliza Knox. Aliza built and led APAC businesses for Google, Twitter, and Cloudflare. Prior to that, she was in banking and consulting. She is now a senior advisor for BCG, a Forbes columnist, a non-executive director on both public and private boards, and an angel investor. Once called a kick-ass woman slaying the world of tech, Aliza is the author of Don't Quit Your Day Job, outlining six mind shifts you need to rise and thrive at work as part of her commitment to empowering the next generation of leaders. Recently listed in the top 100 women in tech, she's also been named the IT Woman of the Year. Aliza Knox, welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Thank you so much for joining me all the way from Singapore now, right? Yep, I've been sitting in Singapore where it's almost midnight. Well, first of all, thank you very much for your commitment to sharing your passion and curiosity, uh, at least through this show. And, uh, and I'm really excited to tell a little bit about your story, the new book that, that, that you've written, which really talks about something that is very uh, pertinent in, in today's society and the different things that are going on about quitting our day jobs and what does it mean to love our life and work and everything in between. But, but first, a little bit about your, your background. I mean, you've held some of the most interesting positions at, if I had to list all the companies that I would want to work for, you've pretty much been in an executive position in all of them. So not just hopped around, but really made a meaningful impact. And later on, sat in some, uh, some great executive boards and, um, and also uh, lecturing in academia and teaching about business. And so a lot of really, I'm sure a lot of fascinating things to talk about. But Eliza, if you're looking at your own trajectory, what do you really enjoy about your work? What, what has sort of been sort of the, the guiding force for you throughout your career? The thing that I enjoy most, if I look back, where I get the most pleasure was having um, helped develop other people. I don't want to say on mother hoodie, you were like, I'm this saint. I mean, I'm not. I like to hit goals as much as the next person. I'm like driving revenue. I like seeing clients. But when I talk about the more than 40 years that I was in the corporate world, which just finished a little over a year ago. When I hear myself talk, what was most fulfilling was helping people get to the next stage of their career, maybe faster, or maybe thinking more broadly about their careers. So, um, for example, I had had several people work for me as executive assistants at Google. And there's nothing wrong with being an EA. And for some of the people, it's a great career. But a lot of these people, like they had master's degrees, they just graduated from college. They seemed driven. I was surprised that they wanted to be an assistant 
Um, one of them was part of a program where Google said, well, we're just bringing people in because we know they're smart, but they don't want to know what they want to do yet and give them a shot at different things. Another one said to me, well, I've been um, doing event organizing at a university in Singapore, but I think I'm going to be an EA. And I was like, you, you have this master's degree in East Asian studies. Well, I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, this is the most you can do. So the first one, um, runs products or part of product at Palantir. The second one is running a sales team at ByteDance. I think both of these people could have gotten to where they are without me. Maybe it would have been a bit slower. Maybe it would have been slightly different. And there are lots more examples like that, not because I'm so amazing, but because I've had the chance to work with a lot of people. And, you know, as I look back, that's what has really driven me the most. That's my passion. Incredible. And if, if you're looking at sort of the way that you're thinking more holistically about work and life and meaning, right? I mean, a lot of this book, I think we can talk about, you know, deriving meaning and where, where are we at in, in, in this whole constellation? Where, where did you find yourself in, in your own career? What, what was your guiding curiosity as you're working with these different organizations? Well, it's funny you use the word curiosity because I would have said my guiding principle was curiosity. So I've kind of, in retrospect, having worked in tech, I divide my career into um, three software releases, at least so far. So 1.0 was Boston Consulting Group and some financial services companies. 2.0 was Google, Twitter, Cloudflare. And 3.0 is what I'm doing now, which is sitting on boards, which I had started in 2.0 and writing this book, Don't Quit Your Day Job, and doing having more time to do um, some sorts of mentoring. I think a lot of people come to talk to me either because um, I've been a woman in tech, a woman in sales, maybe just because I've worked so long. Um, but it's interesting because the thing that's driven me is more curiosity. I left consulting because people kept saying, well, you won't get to, if you don't leave pretty soon, you won't get to be an operator. You won't know how to do, how to run a P&L. Pretty soon, no one will let you do that. And I was like, well, or maybe you could say it's FOMO, you know, either curiosity or fear of missing out. Well, gosh, how do I know if I want to do that? If I don't do it, like, I better try it. And then um, I was living in the Bay Area during the first dot-com boom and then bust. I was at Visa at the time. And I kept thinking, hey, I'm missing out on this internet thing. You know, what's going on here? Like, I know most of these people who are starting in it are younger than I am, but I think, like, I'm, I'm missing out. And I met Vince Cerf, who is one of the founders of the internet, and... Uh, I met him at a business meeting when I was at Giza and thought about it and later considered it was serendipity. And so I said to him, hey, you know, I really like financial services and I definitely haven't mastered it, but I want to know what's going on with this, with this internet and with like online media. I don't know anything about it. Would you guys talk to me? That eventually led my going to, to my going to tech. Um, Google and Twitter, both sort of online media, although some differences. And then Cloudflare called me and, um, said, you know, would you consider talking to us? And I was thinking, well, I've done a couple start, you know, businesses in Asia for American companies, American tech companies. Maybe that's not so interesting to do again. But then when I got to understand Cloudflare and learned it was all about internet performance and security, which I knew nothing about, I was like, hey, this is great. I want to learn about this. So I would have to say the word you used before I got to it, curiosity has been my driving factor. And at one point, when I made the switch to Google, which involved uh, quite a significant title reduction, 
because financial services titles were probably pretty inflated and tech titles were not yet. And some trade-offs on salary versus equity, which obviously paid itself back, but I didn't know at the time. I had a very senior, well-respected executive search person in the Valley tell me that I was brave in quotes, which I think meant foolhardy, possibly stupid. And um, so it wasn't, it wasn't linear, but it was just driven by, I mean, obviously I still wanted to make a living, but I wanted to do things that were interesting to me. It, it seems like a pretty lonely decision to make. You're, you're doing, you're, you have a trajectory, you're doing very well. You're rising sort of in the ranks, if you will, in this sort of this game that, that has been constructed and in a lot of these industries. And, and at some point you, you take this brave action of taking a title reduction, changing the way you're thinking about compensation. And, um, was that a, you know, was that an easy decision? Because it doesn't sound like it, it, it is to be guided by curiosity to the point where you're changing career trajectories. Yeah, I think it was a little scary. Um, I suppose that I get bored doing one thing all the time. And, you know, it was a great, and maybe I learned that in consulting where, you know, you work for one company for a while and then move to another one. And so you have this incredible um, variety of things that you get to do. So maybe I was spoiled by that. Um, or maybe I have adult ADD. I don't know, but I like this idea of learning different things. So yeah, I don't think it's for everybody because I did make some trade-offs in title and just, you know, linear trajectory. But if I look back, I'm really happy with how it's turned out. For example, almost all of the board seats um, that I've gotten are because I have some exposure to tech. I'm not sure if I would have gotten them from consulting, maybe from financial services. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I look at some of my friends who've stayed at BCG their whole careers and they've had fantastic careers. So it's not like I look back and say, it's great that I left. It's just what I did turned out to be good. And I think one of the interesting things, I know you mentioned, you know, you talk to a lot of your friends at Stanford and for younger people, I do a lot of, you know, talking to people of various ages. And one of the things I find is that some people really stress over these decisions. And of course, moving companies is a big decision. You should have some thought and some stress, but at a certain point, you need to just kind of go with it. Cause I think for most people, these steps are going to work out. You know, you take a plunge, you go with it and it's probably going to be, it's probably going to be okay. You know, and I don't know that there are that many really wrong decisions. And I, I've made two decisions where, you know, I really didn't like the job and left in less than a year. You could look back and say, that was a terrible decision or you could say, the, this, the first one I made was going from my bank training program right after college to American Express. Worked for this fantastic woman who came to recruit me after I'd done an MBA at night. And then she left right after I got there. And I was left with no advocates in the place. You know, very difficult situation. I lasted about nine months and I just thought, like, this is really too hard. Life isn't meant to be like this. But it propelled me to do something which I had thought about for a long time, which was to, to move internationally. I really wanted to live overseas. I didn't really have any language skills. I still don't, sadly. Um, I'd been to England during college, cold, rainy, soggy vegetables. You know, I think it's better now, but I didn't want to go back. And um, so I looked on a map 
figured that Australia was close to Asia. I'd always been interested in Asia, but didn't have um, language skills. And I probably could have gone to Hong Kong or Singapore, but didn't realize it. And I motivated myself to find a job in Australia. So if I hadn't taken the job that I didn't like, who knows where I would be now? Because that job in Australia was PCG, and then it led on to from one great thing to another. That's incredible. I love that. Tell me a little bit about this book. Don't quit your day job, six mind shifts to rise and thrive at work. What is that about? I would love to tell you about my book. We could be here all day. I know we're limited. Um, the first thing I want to say is the book is not never, ever resign, never quit. That's not what it's meant to be. It's just six mind shifts to rise and thrive is too long for a title. And you know, there are publishers involved and it is a good kind of controversial title for the great resignation or the great reset or the great reshuffle, whatever we're in now. It's really meant more to say that oftentimes um, as people think about leaving jobs or changing their careers, they're probably not thinking about it with the right mindset. And that if I can help people think about different perspectives, sometimes that will cause them to leave their job, but sometimes it'll cause them to do other things like find outside passion. And, you know, for the people who are leaving now, uh, I read that what LinkedIn, Wall Street Journal quoted LinkedIn as saying that four and a half percent of all new hires during the Great Resignation last year have already boomeranged back to their old company, mm. right? So it's not always the right solution to resign. And particularly if you're leaving something as opposed to going to something. Like if you're resigning because you're running away or you want to have, you know, Amy Cuddy talks about it. And somebody on one of your prior podcasts talked about it too, about people saying it's not a resignation. It's a great, you know, um, go shove it to your employer. And so that gives you that great burst of energy right now. But that might not be the right reason to leave and put yourself somewhere else. You know, you feel that, that power. So the book is about these six mind shifts. And um, Kim Scott, you guys might have heard of, who wrote Radical Candor and has written some other books now as well, um, and who I know from Google had said, you know, the book proves that mindset, not just passion, but mindsets drive career success. And that's why I wrote it. The mind shifts in the book are timeless. And having worked for four decades, I thought, and having being sought out a lot for sort of coffee mentoring, which is great, but difficult because I don't love coffee. And, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. And if there's one thing you learn in tech, it's that you have to be scaled. So one-on-ones are not scaled. I thought I'd write it down. So if you want, I can go through some of the mind shifts and we can talk. That would be awesome. Let's do it. Okay. So um, the first one is your work and your life are on the same team. It actually starts with go, go for both because of that. And and it's really about moving past this. It's my work or my life. Um, and, you know, people talk about work-life balance, which I hate because it suggests that there's this seesaw. So that if I get more work, I have less life. Or if I get more life, I, you know, have less work or I do worse at work. And I don't think that's true. So one of the things I talked about a lot in there was what we've just talked about, which is not obsessing about making the right choice. There's probably no one decision that will derail your career. And so each mind shift has four power perspectives and then a bunch of examples. And then 
four or five actionable takeaways and in to, to back each of these up, not scientifically, but empirically, there are lots and lots of anecdotes of, I think three dozen people, probably 60% women, 40% men, different ethnicities, different parts of the world, age range from 21 to early 60s. So hopefully if you get around to reading it, you'll see that there's somebody you can identify with, maybe not everybody. So, and there's another example, there's a, um, it's pretty similar, so I'll go through it quickly, but Emily Rubin, a friend of one of my children who just graduated from college, couldn't find a job during COVID, took one she wasn't so sure about at a startup in San Francisco, liked it in the beginning, then a lot of reworks and um, found herself pretty unhappy. I thought she should try to stay for a year, you know, usually the, like it used to be when I started working five years, you need to stay for five years to prove that you're a committed person. And I think that's really changed, which is great, but like maybe a year to learn it, but she couldn't, she just couldn't put up with the situation. And she got a job at a mid-sized consulting company that you might've heard of called Huron, and she loves it. And what's really interesting is that even though she'd only worked about nine months, she'd moved from the East Coast to the West Coast and she'd had this experience. And those two things had put her in touch with and gave her the credibility to get hired at Huron. So again, you know, she made a decision um, and it didn't work and she was able to, to move on. Um, another quick, quick story from me, which I think is funny, and there are other funny stories in there too, is I got an MBA at night at NYU. So for those of you at Stanford, you know, kudos to, to you for being at that amazing school on the West Coast. And I did it because... I was working in New York and there was nowhere to swim. And that was how I used to exercise. I have since moved beyond that. I have a couple other things I can do at the gym or play badminton, but I was all I knew how to do. Couldn't get into a pool, lived in the village. Only way I could get into this brand new pool was to take classes at NYU. And I did it with a friend. And four years later, like it was, I wanted to go to Stanford. She wanted to go to Harvard. Um, you know, we're like, we're going to take a couple classes and get credit. And voila, four years later, not enough sleep, apartment smelled like chlorine, but MBA in hand. And because I had done that, because I didn't make the trade-off between work and life, I'm like, I'm going to have this thing that I want in my life, even though it's not so great because I'm taking classes when I'm also working and it's kind of a, you know, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. I did it. And then voila, when I wanted to move to Australia, BCG was like, oh, do you have an MBA? I'm like, well, yes, I have an MBA because I just did this so that I could swim. So I didn't make those trade-offs between work and life. I made some other trade-offs, like maybe not enough sleep. And it, you know, I could have never imagined that that was what was going to happen. That is. So what is the more underlying lesson to be learned here about thinking through trade-offs? When we come to college, they tell us that I, I believe the triangle is you can choose. There's, there's sleep, there's work, and there's social life. And you, have, you can only choose two out of those three. I think that's usually one of the first sentences they tell a college student. Um, but, but, but your lesson teaches something a little else, even though you did, you did mention you lost some sleep. But, but what, what is the underlying lesson on trade-offs there? I think the underlying lesson is you don't necessarily have to make the trade-offs that you think. Mm. Um, I wrote an article in Forbes a couple months ago about a journalist who thought she had to make these trade-offs of living in small town America. She went to Columbia, which is, 
you know, like the preeminent, Columbia Northwestern preeminent journalism school in the U.S. Thought she had to make the trade-off of living in small towns to cover really important issues, but really wanted to be in New York. Gave that up, gave off the, gave up the small town stuff because in order to do this thing she wanted in her life to be in New York. And maybe it took a few years longer, but she's at the Wall Street Journal now, which was cool oh. to begin with. So I think the trade-off is that, or the, the way to think about it is, if there are things you really care about in your life, you probably need to do them. And you can't always predict it, but likely the fact that you're happier, the fact that those things are important to you or are giving you what you want, the sustenance, the personal sustenance you want, means that you will likely end up being able to go where you want with your careers. I love it. Aliza, this is, a, I know, just the tip of the iceberg from, from many more interesting insights uh, from your book, uh, but, but even more from your career. And I really want to thank you. And uh, for the time that you've, uh, that you've been here, I can't believe that it's, I think, past midnight at this point for you. And I really, really appreciate uh, the willingness and the time and the energy and for all the great work. And I look forward to reading the book myself. And uh, thank you very much, Elisa. This was awesome. Thanks for having me on. I guess um, you, since it's after midnight, you know the trade-offs I've been making. 100%, 100%. Thank you very much.